You're listening to Sacks in the Basement, a production of the Broadcast Basement Limited, where every show is 30 minutes of good and comes from a basement bar on the south side of Chicago. Pull up a stool, pour a cold one, and join us right now for Sacks in the Basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found and always at SacksInTheBasement.com. And belly up to the nine-foot homemade oak bar. Pour yourself a cold one. My name is Chris. His name is Ed. Socks in the basement. 30 minutes of socks for fans, by fans. And it's all brought to you by Family Waterproofing Solutions. For bowing walls, window wells, foundation, and crack repair. You got gutter cleaning, crawl space encapsulation, anything to keep water away from your home, protect your foundation, and feel secure. They're family veteran owned and operated since they started in 2013. Call them 24-7 at 708-330-4466. See what a difference a family makes at FamilyDry.com. All right, my friend, I have an exercise today as we come out of this ridiculous weekend in which the White Sox were so close, so close, Ed, to being two games under 500. So close to losing both games to the Cubs. There was a point where we were at the Lake Cottage where I came like into the the bar area that my dad's got set up in there, and I'm like, where's the game? He's like, I got disgusted. I turned it off. I'm like, what? He goes, they lost. Like that's that's how my dad saw it in the ninth inning. He just flipped off the TV. It was just done. He told me they lost. And I was like, oh, that's disgusting. And then I'm sitting there and I'm like, so how did it end? He goes, oh, ninth inning, this, that, blah, blah, blah. They can't get a run. He's going through the whole game. I'm like, but did you see it end? And he goes, no. And I'm on my phone and I'm flipping through Twitter. I'm like, it's not over yet. Turn the game back on. And then I had to sit through the like the ending and the stress and the stress. I mean, think about that game. If it's not for a pass ball, you're two games under 500. Another Joe McEwing send, which was just absurd. And only because the throw is so offline, it's up the first baseline. The catcher caught the ball and ran three steps back to home plate and almost got the runner. I mean, everything had to go right there. You're two games under 500. This team is excruciating to watch. Yeah, they are. But I, it, it does kind of, I, I don't know. I don't want to say the word disturbs me, but it, it it's kind of something where I'm trying to wrap my head, though, around where Sox fans are. I mean, I understand it's Memorial Day weekend. It is the Cubs. It is, this is the time of year when teams kind of are what they are. And this team has been frustrating to watch. They've been up, they've been down. They've been basically mediocre the entire season. But still, I mean, to you know, I feel like everybody's gotten to this point where they just assume that unless they go off early on in the game uh, and, and are up like 25 runs to negative seven or something like that, <laughs> like, like something impossible has happened. Everybody just assumes at this point that the Sox are going to lose, even though, I mean, they're a 500 team. So it's not like they're, they're not terrible. They're just not what we expected them to be. So I, I you know, I get where he's coming from, but... I also made the point too. I was talking to um, to you know to someone about it, and they kind of asked to say, "Well, did you watch the whole game?" And I said, "No, I, I was doing this, that, and the other thing." I said, I, "I picked it up in the eighth inning, and so I ended up watching this incredibly long game through the extra innings. And the whole time I'm sitting there thinking, I'm like, you know, I do think that the team could find a way to lose this thing, but I also have faith that this version of the Cubs." can also find a way to lose games, and they found a way to lose more than the Sox have. So we'll play the percentages and see how this thing turns out. So I guess that's my optimism right there is maybe the other team sucks worse than we do. But I think you said it perfectly. It is Memorial Day weekend now that has passed by. 
And you are what you are at this point. They're a 500 team. They, they don't deserve to be better than 500. I don't think anybody can watch this team right now and say that they're anything more than a 500 team. They Could they be better? Man, they could get better. You know, Loy Jimenez could finally, you know, make it back. Who knows what's going to happen? He seems like he's made a glass. He hurt himself right away again. I hate saying that about the oh, guy. Yeah. I love him. But, geez, every, I mean, like, what? He goes back for his, his AAA start, and he was out before the – like the third inning or something like that. He already tweaked something. He has right leg soreness. And now we watch Tim Anderson go down. That looks terrible. You know, you hear him say he's going on the IL. We just don't know how long for. Oh, my goodness. That's just, I mean, like, that's the thing you that's don't want to hear. That is, that is a horrifying thing to hear. Right. I mean, you don't you don't want to hear that stuff. It, it, it's like every time you get two guys back, two more guys are going to get injured. And that, that's baseball. That's why you need depth. That's why when you build your team, your philosophy cannot be, well, if everybody stays healthy and all the stars align, we'll compete for a World Series. Because injuries happen everywhere. That might be the problem right there, isn't it? Well, I want to talk about the problem today, okay? Because I still believe this is a team that can win the division. I still believe this is a team that if it gets its act together, and a lot of things have to change, okay? Including organizational philosophy, including this whole resting guys like crazy thing, because it isn't making any difference. Guys still get injured. When you have an opportunity to win a game, win the damn game. Okay, put the best nine guys out there and start stringing some wins along because the the babying guys, that's not changing anything. You still have guys to get injured and go down. Okay, I've, I've gotten to the point now as I'm entering June and I see a 500 team saying what you're doing isn't working. So I want to talk about that. And that's going to be a lot more fun to talk about than trying to figure out what we think of Dylan Cease and Kendall Graveman because they can't go to Toronto because of their their vaccine status. I I don't want to talk about that. Okay. now I'm going to be concerned if we get to Toronto in the postseason and we need Dylan Cease. But on the other hand, you get to line up your starters however you want to. And he would just pitch games in Chicago. I don't know if it would be the reason you didn't win a series. No, 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 not at all. No. So I'd much rather have this conversation we're going to have here today. And what I want to present you with is three different people or groups that are to blame for the White Sox being 500. And after I present these to you, my friend, I would love for you to assign a percentage of blame to those people or groups. Can you do that for me? Yeah, I can do that. I can do that. I can, I can, I can point fingers. Yeah, that's what I want to do. I want to point fingers today. Point fingers and doing numbers. We can do this. (laughs) I want angry fingers pointed in directions today. That's what I want. Because you shouldn't be happy about this. You shouldn't be happy as a White Sox fan about this. Like, sure, you like going to games and getting drunk, okay, and doing the wave. And, you know, you love it when Southpaw comes by and slaps your kid high five. And that's your baseball experience. And that's what you love. God bless you. I find nothing wrong with that. I watch White Sox baseball because of a team that I love in the bottom of my heart. Down in the cockles. Even the sub-cockles, I'm guessing. Exactly, in the sub-cockle area. I need this team to win like I need air to breathe. Okay, I want championships. I want glorious moments. I root for the team because I want the team to win. Winning is the most important thing to me. Some other people, winning's not important, right? I mean, it's more important. Like the White Sox, they send out those surveys. I hate those surveys. Anybody who's bought tickets through the White Sox and they have your email address, you've gotten these things before. Do you think this player connects with you? Do you know about this player personally? Do you feel the White Sox care about your feelings? I don't care about any of that. I, If you had 26 complete 
jerks on the team that never sign autographs and you won a World Series every year, I wouldn't care if they were jerks. I want to win. That's that's where I am. Okay. And some other people, it doesn't matter. Me, I root for teams because I want to see the team win. I never cared if Michael Jordan was a jerk. He won. It was cool. It was fun to watch it happen. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, like after after the 2005 World Series, if you would have told me, these guys, they don't sign autographs. A.J. Przinsky dropped a baby because he didn't care when somebody handed it to him. And Paul Canerco likes to go out the clubs till four in the morning and pass out on top of the bar. I mean, well, they sound like a bunch of jerks, but they won the World Series, so I don't care. That, I mean, like, that, I want to win baseball games. I'm, I'm, I'm like that. I want to win games. Okay, I don't care about whether or not you're connecting with me on a personal level at the ballpark. I want to win. So let's let's talk a little bit. Also, by the way, they're not connecting with anybody on a personal level at the ballpark. So <laughs> let's just end that now and focus on winning, shall we? So who's to blame, Chris? Let's play who's to blame. Let's play who's to blame. That's next. Socks in the basement listeners do the hard work. And if you're a hardworking man or woman on the South Side, you need to be outfitted properly. And that's why you should visit Red Wing Shoes in Evergreen Park, New Lenox, and Geneva. A work boot specialty store that carries sizes from 6 to 16 and feet as wide as 4E. A 115-year-old company that came out of Red Wing, Minnesota, and one of its largest stores in the entire Midwest is in Evergreen Park, Illinois, ever since 1976. When you're on your feet, the footwear is everything. So why not get an expert fitting? They warranty, repair, and offer free conditioning with laces. And they also carry Carhartt work clothing as well. Located at 3347 West 95th Street in Evergreen Park, Illinois, at 208 East Maple Street on Route 30 in New Lenox, or at 1749 South Randall Road in Geneva. Visit them today. You work hard. You've earned it. Red Wing Shoes. All right, before we get into this, a quick shout out to Cork and Carry at the Park at 33rd in Princeton, where there is a big, beautiful banner now in front of the place that says that they are the home of the podcast for fans, by fans, Socks in the Basement, which we really appreciate. And they handed out a couple hundred Socks in the Basement koozies this past weekend. We'll get more swag out there throughout the year. It's always free. We don't hitch up for money for that stuff. We're giving it away. Thank you so much for listening. First of the three... Persons or groups that could be to blame here. The first one's very yes. easy. The players. The players that play on the field that are not pitchers. The players. The players that have to grab a bat and walk up to the plate who have all forgotten how to hit. You could easily just say the players. Jose Abreu for his slow start. Yasmani Grandal for not being the on-base machine that he was last year that made up for the low average. Everybody swinging at first pitch. The players are to blame for all of this. They they came out uh, feeling like they were going to be great. Uh, it's like it's like Major League Two where they think they're just going to be awesome, and it turns out they just suck. Right? It's like the sequel to the baseball movie, and the team now is supposed to be good, but they suck. Okay? They got too cocky. They 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 started reading their own headlines. It's on the players. I'm going to have you rank these things and give a percentage. But how much of it, just in your gut feeling, do you feel is the players right now? So you're you're just really limiting it to the position players. You're not talking about the starters in the bullpen. You're just talking about one through nine, 
and the bench guys. And and so I wouldn't blame the pitchers as much because Dallas Keuchel was going to be on the team no matter what because of the money that he spent. The team did release him by June. I would have liked to have seen him DFA'd a couple of weeks earlier, but I don't think that's the reason you're 500. Now, well, and and, and I, I will say, in defense of the pitchers, what you're looking at is Dylan Cease is doing his job. Michael Kopech has been fantastic. Giolito's been really good this year. Even Vince Velasquez has been serviceable. Better than what I expected. Exactly. And the bullpen's been good for the most part. There's a couple of guys that have had problems, but, you know, you're right. I, I think the pitching staff has been fine. But the hitters, the hitters have been have been awful, and and I think that is a huge huge part of why they are five hundred. And I put a lot of the blame on the players. Now I don't know if it's major league two. Okay, I don't know if these guys came out cocky and thinking that they were just going to beat the world, or if this is also a sign that. And I've, I've kind of mentioned this before. This is an older team than I think people realize they're dealing with. This is not as young a team as we were told it would be after the rebuild, because you've got a catcher in Yasmani Grandal who's 33. There's, there's mileage on those, those legs. Jose Abreu's 35. A lot of guys start to fall off at that age. Larry Garcia wasn't good to begin with. He's also on the other side of 30. Oh, no, 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 no. Hold on. Don't tell me that because that would mean that giving three years and 16 and a half million dollars to a guy that was past his prime years. get, to the blame on Rick Hahn in a second, I have a feeling. Because that would that would indicate to me that somebody made a mistake with that contract, but go ahead, Ed. You think? But still, you know, you, you have veteran players here who are, frankly, th- there's a chance that they are falling apart. And there's also some guys, too, that are like A.J. Pollock, who historically has been very streaky, okay? Uh, and, and this isn't to say that Abreu can't pick it up still, and he's been better. Uh, you know, he actually had a decent week, you know, very good week this week. Uh, Yasmani Grandal... Yeah, the on-base machine that he was last year, but that was a weird statistical year. So I do think, though, that you have a group of guys that have not figured out how to play situational baseball or how to read what they need to do in order to win a game. They're all going up there trying to do the same thing, which is they're trying to take over the world with one swing. They're all trying to hit a home run. They're all trying to get the big hit. And what you end up with is you end up with sloppy baseball, which is kind of what we saw in the Cubs series, right? Where bad base running mistakes, situational hitting that wasn't really good. You're getting pop-ups. You're getting, you know, guys not executing the way they should. Even Larry Garcia's bunt, where he's running on the inside of the line, the whole point of that is to force the throw to first base. I don't know what he's doing. I mean, I understand hustling it out, but geez. Practically run in the grass if you have to. You give yourself up in that situation because you're trying to get that run over to third. You know, I'm, I'm mystified by how badly the players just do not seem to be able to put together a string of hits. How they don't seem to, they all seem to want to go up and do something specific. And I'll pick on Gavin Sheets. Sheets, I think, sometimes goes up there and he's thinking, well, I'm going to beat the shift. And it doesn't really matter what the situation is. You know, as opposed to just trying to hit the ball as hard as possible, which I feel like is what he did last year with a lot of success. Well, think about the mentality at the end of the game on Sunday. There's something telling in Jake Berger's comments about when the fifth infielder came in that it relaxed him because all he had to do was wait for a ball that was high and he could put it into play. You know, he still could have hit it to the left fielder or the right fielder. But all of a sudden now in his mind, oh, I just got to hit the ball. 
Well, you should go up there and feel like I just got to hit the ball in any time. And if they wouldn't have brought in the fifth infielder, you're, you should have been thinking, I'm just going to elevate a pitch. Shouldn't have mattered if right. the fifth infielder was in. These guys are overthinking shifts. I think you're dead on with that because Berger's job, if there's one outfielder, two outfielders, or all nine guys are standing in the outfield, is still to hit the ball into the outfield with the guy standing on third base because you want a fly ball to sacrifice yourself for the runner to score. Exactly. It, to me... It, it when I heard that quote, and I don't blame Jake Berger for it. Actually, Berger's one of the few guys who seems to be doing okay here. Right, but there's something in the philosophy of these guys keep looking at the shift, and in reality, they should just be going up there saying, I'm going to try to get a hit, and if they catch it, they catch it. I'm going to come back up and work on contact and driving the ball and try. I mean, if you want to move a ball over to the right side of the field because you you know, you want to advance the runner from second to home and you see a little bit of a hole, fine. But I think there's a lot of overthinking on the shift. Let's get to the next group here. I don't want to stick on this yeah. too long. Uh, the next group, this is a group here. And this is not only the coaching staff, but Tony LaRussa. And if you're going to say Tony LaRussa and the coaching staff, this group also includes the owner of the team. Four decades he's had this team. He's only had one pennant. Okay, for all the people who sit there and tell me what a great owner he is. Okay, I, I don't count basketball. Uh, when it comes to baseball ownership, four decades to make it to the World Series once. And fortunately, we won that. That's his resume. And he took his friend, Tony La Russa, and he, he went over his GM and picked the manager. It was obvious. You can't dispute it. You heard Tony's comments when he was hired. He went through the hiring process, and Jerry was the first guy he talked to. They tried to retcon it later on and try to act like everybody was on the same page, but the raw comments from Tony La Russa were undeniable as to what happened. Anybody paying attention knows what happened with that. So if Tony is the problem, his lineups, his overresting of players, his influence on your general manager as to which players he wants to put on the field, the way he's utilizing players. We hear Rick Hahn talking about a lot of people thought I should have gotten a left-handed bat to go out and play the outfield, but I found a guy in A.J. Pollock where it doesn't matter what side of the plate he's on. He said that to Scott Merkin just about two weeks ago. We had Merck on the show. It doesn't matter what side of the plate he's on because he hits both lefties and righties pretty much the same. The manager doesn't see it that way, though, because he's stuck in baseball philosophies that are decades old, okay? He's still a slave to handedness, lefty-righty, lefty-righty, lefty-righty. He doesn't look at the actual results. He could be the problem. His coaching staff is a problem. And then you, the, the, the owner, the owner who screwed up the Manny Machado deal a few years back when he wouldn't give the most guaranteed money, even though they tried to spin it, the owner that forced this manager upon his general manager who had a plan all of those people in that group from Jerry to Tony and whoever Tony's keeping around to actually train these players and work with these players. That's the problem. Uh, yes, that is. I, I think it always comes back on the coaching staff whenever a team is underperforming and it has to. And in this situation, it's very easy to sit there and look at what Tony's doing with the lineups and what he's doing with the pitching staff. And you're right. Some, some of the things that he's doing in terms of matchups where you know, he's relying on a lot of Gavin Sheets at bats to cover against right-handers. And, I, and I'm okay with the idea that Sheets is going to play against a lot of righties because that's the guys that he's supposed to feast on too, if you believe that he is actually capable of doing so. But, you know, is it something where I look at this and say, Tony is clearly and totally out of touch and that's 
what's holding this team back. I have to assign, I think, less blame to the coaching staff because, again, this is not this is not a team full of guys who don't know how to play. This is not a young team anymore. The guys that are struggling the most are really the guys that should know what they're doing and should not need a whole lot of coaching. There should not be a need. I know there's a lot of people who want Frank Menachino fired, for example. And, you know, what I would ask those, you know, of, of that, though, is how much is Frank Menachino really going to have taught Jose Abreu about hitting at this point in Jose Abreu's career? Is there any hitting coach that is going to remake Jose Abreu into something greater than he's ever been before when he's been, you know, pretty fantastic in his career? Same thing with Yasmani Grandal. If Grandal just simply cannot hit anymore, if that's the case, if it's just that, whether it's because of the shift, because the ball is deadened and he's not generating as much power or whatever, the guys that are really struggling, the guys that are hitting under 200, as I'm looking at the stats, Yaz, uh, Larry Garcia, who, again, is a veteran player. He's the longest-tenured White Sox, so you can't say he's a young guy. And then you get down to Josh Harrison, who is also a veteran player, and Reese McGuire, who is a guy that can't hit. And then Yohan Makata, who I think is, frankly, I think is more injured than anybody ever knows. Talk about a guy made of glass. There's another one. But... The guys that are really scuffling along, even A.J. Pollock, I'll throw him in there at 216. The guys that are really scuffling along, with the exception of maybe Gavin Sheets, you know, you're really talking about the veterans. And so I think Tony messing with the lineups has been more him trying to find one that actually scores runs or, or a group of guys that understand how to hit behind each other. I'm not sure at this point if it's Tony doesn't understand why the players are playing so poorly and can't figure out what buttons to push because everything that should be working in his mind isn't, or if it's something where he's really the problem. Now, on to Jerry and forcing this coaching staff on Rick Hahn and, you know, the long-term complaints that Sox fans have had about Jerry's tight-fistedness and inability to get that guy or inability to give Rick Hahn the money to get that guy, whoever it is, Machado, whoever it is, I think that's fair game at this point. Like you said, four decades, one pennant. Hailstorm Brewing Company is the official brewery of Sox in the Basement, and uh, they're really fun to go visit. I'll be honest with you. Yes, they are. (laughs) You walk in there, and they have this ridiculous menu of just all these beers that they're producing there. They've got a brand new brewer there, Will Turner, that is upping their game. He's got decades of experience, all kinds of breweries around Chicagoland and outside of Chicago. And now he's over there and he's making all the old favorites and he's adding some really good stuff to that menu. Big giant tap room, outdoor patio, fire pit for chilly evenings, live music on the weekends. Every time I'm in there on the weekends, There is a band playing, and it's always good. Trivia nights, other fun events, and they have seasonal beers out for the summer, including their Strawberry Summer. It is a Strawberry Lemon Kolsch. They have the Primo Mexican Lager, which is very good on a hot day, and the Big Beautiful Wheat. And also, they have a brand new beer that may be out by this week. If I remember my timeline uh, correctly, it's called Morley. It celebrates Mokina, Orland, and Tinley, that area there. It's an American brown ale. It is a hoppier take on the English brown. Learn more on their Facebook page at Hailstorm Brewing Company. Uh, Check out all their information at hailstormbrewing.com. But get over to Tinley Park, 8060, 186th Street, right off of 80th Avenue, and visit Hailstorm Brewing Company today. And they may still have some socks and basement swag there 
that I left, uh, I want to say about a week or so ago. I saw people tweeting that they had picked it up. There might be some stuff still there, and I'll go drop it off next time I'm in the Tinley area. I'll, I'll replenish them as well. The o- only other person that could be to blame here is the architect of the team, which is Rick Hahn. You have had an issue at second base for a long damn time. It was the number one problem. It was the problem that everybody knew you had. And you have a subpar defensive player who doesn't do anything very well, who's replacement level in Larry Garcia, and you have a guy who can't hit but plays defense pretty good in Josh Harrison. But it, it shows that you you just can't fix some of these problems. And I sit around and I say, well, how many years do you get to fix some of the problems that have been sitting on this team? How much of this, Ed, is on Rick Hahn? He picks the personnel. He knows the budget. His team's 500 coming out of Memorial Day weekend. You can tell he's pissed because he probably wanted to move on from Dallas Keuchel weeks ago. Okay, that was a guy in a press conference who was like, yep, he's gone. And in in the back of his mind, there's other guys he wants to get rid of as well. But he did give that money to Larry Garcia, which will never make sense to me. It'll never make sense to me that he spent money on his bullpen when he still had an issue over at second base. I felt like the money could have been used differently. And he it's right, I think, to criticize him a little bit. What do you think? Yeah, Rick Hahn's not faultless. And, and we can pick on Jerry's budget and all that stuff, too. But it, 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 the, the problem I have with Rick Hahn and the way he spent the money was it is easy to be a general manager if you can just write whatever check it's required to get an all-star player, okay? But the real rubber meets the road where a general manager can find guys who can fill holes that are in an unheralded form of signing. With Rick Hahn, I think the problem is is that where he has spent money at times has been unproductive, just generally unproductive for the team. Adam Eaton. And unproductive money. Exactly. Okay, so Adam Eaton is an unproductive player for the team. You needed a right fielder. There were other options out there, and don't tell me that there weren't other options out there because there were. It didn't have to be Adam Eaton necessarily. It could be other guys that might have been more of a platoon guy. Maybe we're not somebody that was necessarily expected to be an everyday guy, but that's okay because you had Adam Engel sitting there that, that could have done it and, and platooned with the guy, and that's fine. So, you know, there were options out there that you could go out and sign a productive player for less money, but Rick Hahn went for Adam Eaton, and that that's a talent evaluation situation. The bigger one, Dallas Keuchel just got DFA'd. And he was not the original target for a starting pitcher that offseason. It was Zach Wheeler. That was the huge deal that Zach Wheeler's wife essentially forced him to stay on the East Coast, even though the Phillies ended up offering a, you know only a comparable contract. It's not like they blew the Sox out of the water. In fact, I think the Sox were like a, still a million up on the guaranteed money there. Sox offer was better. She wanted to be in Philly. Yeah. So, but but what Rick did is a colossal blunder in in a way because what he did was he sit there and said, I've recognized that this guy is a legitimate ace. This is a guy that could anchor my staff. This is a guy that could be a number one, even if the other guys that I have picked up along the way, Lucas Giolito, for example, or Reynaldo Lopez, or some of these other, Michael Kopech, some of these guys I've traded for, if they don't turn into a number one, I've at least got a legit number one guy. What he did was he then threw money at a consolation prize that had such huge red flags surrounding him that the season before, he couldn't even get signed until the draft pick compensation came off of him. Think about the bad money that he was. I mean, that's the thing. I think White Sox fans don't think about that because they're like, well, you know, he had that one good year for us. He had 60 games. He had a shortened season. He had 60 games. 
People did weird things that didn't make sense during those 60 games. Like, I'm very happy for Jose Abreu that he got the MVP, but we talked about it that whole year and going into the next offseason. That was like the first time that he had ever done so well against right-handed pitching. It was so, it was like an anomaly, and it was over 60 games, and you wonder if over 162, if that would have come back to the norm, and it was just the sweet spot. It doesn't take away, everybody only got 60 games that season, so he earned that MVP because he was the best over those 60 games, but that's the most you got out of Dallas Keiko because he wasn't good last year, and he wasn't good this year. So you're right, that's an awful lot of money. That's 60-some million dollars that was given to a guy for a 60-game stretch. That's the problem I have is, is that Rick Hahn's talent evaluation has been somewhat questionable when he signed free agents, and he hasn't picked guys that are necessarily, you know, like you said, that there's there's a lot of holes that don't seem to have solutions, and there there's a lot of trying to fit square pegs into round holes on this team, where guys like Gavin Sheets and Andrew Vaughn are not outfielders as they come up through the system, but now they're outfielders. All right, when this show started, I told you I was going to give you three persons or groups that could be to blame for a 500 baseball team coming out of Memorial Day weekend. A team that makes my father turn off the TV before the game is over because he's convinced in his heart that that game is over at that point. Okay, I mean, we had a good laugh over it, but to be honest with you, it wasn't like I felt bad. I mean, we caught up on some of the plays through Twitter and we got to watch the end of the game. So it wasn't like it was the end of the world that he turned it off. But that's the mentality, I think, right now, and that's the way that Sox fans feel. It's not enjoyable to watch this team. It really isn't. Sometimes it feels like torture. Okay, you got to kind of step away every once in a while from this team. I want it to be fun again. All right, I think we all want it to be fun again. I'm sure the White Sox wish it was fun again. But whose fault is it? Instead of assigning blame like uh, 40% is Rick Hahn's fault and 30% is Tony's fault and 30% are the players or whatever you want to do, I came up with something else here as you were talking. If this team missed the playoffs, who would you blame so much that you wouldn't want around anymore? Well, I think if you're talking in a vacuum, you could say you shake up the roster, you fire all, you fire everybody, okay? You fire everybody. Everybody goes. Fire everybody. Sell the team. Just That's what you want. You want to sell, sell the, the team. team. Yeah, kind of. But here's here's the thing, though. I think when you look at what, what they have, who they have under contract right now, when those contracts start coming up, your window is really this year. And if you, if you don't win it this year, you really have next year with some of the some of the star power on this team, and then things start to fall apart. So I think what you have to do is at the end of the season, they don't make the playoffs. I think it's the roster first has to be shaken up. You got to look at who underperformed and you got to get rid of the dead weight. There are players that need to be off this team and need to be replaced first. I think second, you have to question whether or not the GM can get that done. And I think third, it's a coaching staff because I do honestly believe that if it was Ricky Renneria, if it was any other coach, any other coaching staff that the Sox have had, you know, Ozzie and his coaching staff, I think would have a problem with this group. Well, all, none of that matters because they're going to win the World Series this year, right? Well, if I'm going to be perfectly optimistic and realistic <laughs> about it, of course, they're going to finish up the All-Star break 500 and then they're going to win every game after that. They're going to go 81-0 and zero after the All-Star break. Yeah, Steve Stone just tweeted, only three back in a loss column. That's all that matters. Strap in. We're winning this thing. I'm with Steve. I'm not giving up yet. Honestly, I, I think the I think the twins I think the twins are gonna find a way to mess this up too. That's how we won in 08. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we can do that again. We didn't win 08. The twins messed it up. Maybe we can get that again from the twins. Socks in the basement.
Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Socks in the basement. Heard everywhere podcasts can be found. And always on SocksInTheBasement.com.